With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am not joined today by Patrick Corain. We have a very special guest, Liz Loza from Yahoo Fantasy. She is an FSWA and an FSTA award winner over on Yahoo Fantasy, and she is kind enough to give us some of her time this morning. Liz, how are you doing? Are we getting are we getting pumped for the start of the NFL season? Absolutely. I mean, just came off of Olympic coverage and there's nothing better than hitting the ground running for NFL training camp in the preseason, ramping up towards obviously the most fun part of the NFL season, which is our fantasy season. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, it's easy to get uh, pessimistic in the middle of the season. At least it is for me with, you know, the, the mountain of work that all of us have, but the, this is actually kind of my favorite time of the year because there is nothing I love more than drafting. Like, let's just be honest. Drafting is the best part of of fantasy football. No doubt about it. Oh yeah. This is optimism season. This is, you know what the, I, I, I was not popular in high school. I don't know if you were, I don't know who in the fantasy community to be honest was necessarily, but everybody would get ready for prom, right? Like getting ready for prom, like prom kind of sucked, but getting ready for prom, the dress shopping, Uh, putting on makeup with your girlfriends or whatever y'all did. That was the most fun. And so this is getting ready for the prom, whether or not the prom is successful doesn't matter because we're, we're uh, having the fun part of it now. Yeah, no, I, I was, uh, I like wasn't popular in high school, but I wasn't a total loser either. I bet Matthew Berry was popular in high school and I bet JJ Zacharyson was popular in high school. If I had to guess on two guys in fantasy who are popular in high school, those would be my guesses. Um, I, I, you know what, I'm going to put a pin in Matthew, <laughs> um, but, um, JJ, JJ makes sense. I mean, I bet he's had a beard since he was a 12, so that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive into some of the stuff we have here to discuss. Uh, and, and I think this is actually a great way to start with anyone who I haven't done a show with before, just so I know, as we have the rest of the conversation, if you had to kind of define your preferred strategy in a 12-team PPR league, you know, the, the most popular form of the game, how would you define your preferred strategy? Well, I think I'd probably like to say that I'm just loose and taking the best player available, but the truth is I have my guys, I have my favorites, and I do have, at least this season, I have come up with a strategy that's slightly different than previous seasons, to be honest, if I'm drafting, particularly, I should say, if I'm drafting after, say, the seven spot-ish, um, like if I'm drafting out of the eight and to the end, uh, eight through 12 spots, um, I am being much more cognizant about taking a quarterback and stacking with one of my first four round choices, whether it's, you know, an upper level 
running back or an elite wide receiver, or sometimes even a tight end. Um, that's a little, the tight end is a little bit trickier. I, I really like TJ Hawkinson a lot, like in the fourth, but if he doesn't, I, I find that that's a target for me, but I also really start to like Justin Herbert a lot in a stack with Austin Eckler or Keenan Allen. And so I'm being, and if I lose out on him, then I'm taking Matthew Stafford a little bit later to stack um, with, I find that I'm getting Daryl Henderson a lot as like a quote value pick at running back, but I'm being much more cognizant about stacking my players with a quarterback. um, If I don't land one of those top four running backs in the first part of the draft, if I'm not lucky enough to draft out of one of those spots. Yeah, uh, I I actually find Daryl Henderson to be a big linchpin of my strategy right now as well. I feel like uh, if we all got our our brains wiped uh, men in black style and we just Mm -hmm. restarted the draft season over right now, I think Daryl Henderson would go right next to Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I think those guys would be like back end of the second round, first pick in the third round style guys. But because you know, we have the inertia of, you know, drafts starting since April or everything. I, I just don't think he will quite get there unless he looks phenomenal in the preseason. So we're, we're pretty aligned. I, I love also setting up those stacks starting at the beginning, you know, knowing if I get Austin Eckler, love to take Justin Herbert. And, you know, knowing if I get DeAndre mm-hmm. Hopkins, I'd love to take Kyler Murray. So I, I like yep. the, I like that strategy a lot. Um, so getting into some more niche stuff. I, I cannot make heads or tails of the New Orleans Saints in, in 2021. I have no idea. You know, we are, we, it is August 11th. We've had basically two weeks of training camp. We haven't gotten a preseason game yet, but we don't know who's taking the first snap at quarterback in week one for the Saints. We don't know if it's Jameis. We don't know if it's Taysom. We don't know which one Sean Payton is, is leaning towards. We don't even really know what wide receivers are going to be lined up. There in week one, Traquan Smith has a leg injury. Michael Thomas is out. Deontay Harris is probably suspended because he got a DUI in what should have, I mean, this, you know, this is his, the opportunity he's been waiting his whole life for. He got a DUI. What are we doing with the Saints? Are, are they just going to be bad? Is that, is the, is the simple answer that they're actually just going to be bad? Well, maybe they'll be a bad NFL franchise, though it does seem interesting that Sean Payton would, I mean, we've had so many years of Sean Payton, um, platitudes in the media and Drew Brees and it's just been a long time since they've been bad that it's hard to imagine I think for us to adjust to that fact also the defense let's be honest you know that there are all of these training camp reports that are like the defense are looking surprisingly good in training camp and I was like well who are they running against like yes you can pop against this offense like that's not necessarily telling you know I mean I like the point you make one of these wide receivers I think Marcus Calloway right is he's the one that's flashing right now um and it is worth worth noting like I, I don't think anyone's drafting Callaway to be honest but I just think in terms of keeping track of all this he did have that big game seven last year versus Carolina when both Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders were out he converted eight of ten for 75 yards which put him in the top 30 for fantasy receivers um but yes I am with you on the Saints um you know <laughs> I'm more thrown by them than I was watching the opening of the suicide squad over the weekend. So that's telling. What we do know is that Alvin Kamara is going to catch a lot of balls. He averaged seven catches per game and nearly 150 total yards per contest over the eight weeks that Michael Thomas was out last year. He's my RB five. I know that there's some concern about his receiving work. If Taysom Hill is in the mix, but I don't think that, 
with Thomas being questionable and he's got this soft tissue. And by the way, Thomas is not, it's not only the uh, soft tissue issue, but it's also as my colleague Andy Barron so perfectly stated the fact that he's in a quote cold war with the rest of his team. So I think given all of those question marks, we know that Alvin, I'm not as worried, I guess I should say as Alvin, with Alvin Kamara's potential receiving work were Hill to eventually win the job. I also feel like this is just an Adam Troutman question. Like, are you setting me up to ask me about the Saints so that I could tell you about Adam Troutman? Because I've been talking about Alvin Trout Adam Troutman since, oh, April. And now everybody is starting to listen. And now his ADP is starting to climb. Actually, I wanted to, I think I was on the Adam Troutman train when the New Orleans Saints gave up four picks to scoop him over a year ago and Jared Cook was still on the squad. So Adam Troutman, I mentioned TJ Hawkinson a little bit earlier, and obviously those elite tight ends, uh, including Waller and Travis Kelsey being, you know, taken in the first two rounds of most drafts. If I don't get any three of those guys, I am waiting, and I hope I can continue to wait. I hope not everybody is listening to this because I feel like Troutman's stock is climbing and will continue to climb. He's in inside of my top uh, 13, I think. Um, I want to wait on him and just get him really, really late. He, he, the volume that he is in line to see should just be massive. Um, I think it was, I, I, I have him breaking out to the tune of like 60 catches this season. It, I mean, it's there for Troutman. They drafted him pretty early. He was, uh, I think he was the, the, either the first or second player ever drafted from Dayton university's football team, which I just always love that little trivia. I I'm pretty in line with you. It seems I'm, I'm not, I, uh, Kyle, Kyle Dvorak from NBC sports. I said this the other day and I thought it was so poetic. We're interested in Traquan Smith conceptually. It seems <laughs> like he should be good, but he's just really not good. He really, and he's had a lot of chances to be good mm -hmm. over the, you know, Michael Thomas has been banged up and, and, you know, Manny Sanders has been in and out of the lineup and it's never really happened for him. So I am more into Callaway. I appreciate the sentiment on Adam Troutman because drafting tight ends is just, it's just kind of hard work. There are just really not a ton of guys to be excited about. I think after you get past Hawkinson and Andrews and you move into the Goddard, Higby, Logan Thomas, Noah Fantier, I think all of those guys have huge warts. And the yep. fact that Troutman, I mean, what's really the meaningful difference between Adam Troutman or Logan Thomas in terms of how we would project them at this point. But even, even though, you know, he's been getting a lot of uh, positive, like, you know, the, the coaching staff and the beat writers have been very complimentary of Troutman. You're right. I mean, he really still is, is a, a bona fide late round pick and, and the opportunity is there, I guess what, well, this is an important question. Who would you rather have start? Would you rather have Jameis or Taysom start for fantasy? I think I would rather have Jameis start for comedy, but I right. would rather have Taysom start even with the Kamara factor for fantasy. I just think that there's, I mean, the, the cheat code of having a rushing quarterback is just so massive now. And to have another one of those options on the table and I'm not, it's not like I'm really going to invest in any of these receivers. And I don't think that his placement quote under center um, or not uh, would affect Troutman terribly. Uh, so I think, you know, Troutman's still going to be on the field because he's such a good blocker and Hey, you know what, actually Troutman's a converted quarterback. Maybe he's going to be the one who ends up winning this job. But um, I, I think Taysom Hill ultimately for fantasy just makes for 
more fun. I, I don't think that's the conventional pick, but I, I think we've seen enough out of Jameis to know what we're going to get. Yeah, I, I think you are. I think you are probably right about that. I guess the, the, the winner, if Taysom ends up starting, will probably be Latavius Murray. He saw his biggest yeah. snap share in games where Taysom started, but I mean, that's, that's boring. Like that's like the, the worst case scenario is that the saints just kind of suck and they run the ball a lot. And Latavius Murray has like 15 carries a game. But I did, that's why I mentioned the defense though, because I don't think this defense, they lot, there's been a lot of turnover from last year. And I just don't think this defense is going to be what we've traditionally seen. And I think they're going to have to throw the ball to catch up in situations, especially when I'm looking at uh, other teams in their division. Yeah, I, I think you are probably right. So let's uh, let's change direction a little bit here because I want to talk about the rookies. You know, I think this is uh, this is definitely the season where we have most expected both rookie wide receivers, rookie tight ends, rookie running backs. Like like people are are very hip to the idea that rookie players can produce. You know, t- ten years ago it was okay. You got to wait for the third year, and then five years ago it was like okay, we're ready for the second year breakouts. And now with you know, what AJ Brown did in 2019 and what Justin Jefferson did last season. Like we are, we're basically rookies are just being drafted. Like they are just normal players like that with, and and maybe even actually there's even a little bit of a, of a rookie premium on guys because of what Justin Jefferson did last season. I think everybody is trying to find this year's version, right? We're all um, memories are short, particularly in fantasy football, Obviously, and you know, you mentioned your favorite time of year being this. My favorite time of year is March and April when I get to really dig into these rookies because full disclosure, I am not grinding college tape every day Saturday and then also grinding NFL tape all day Sunday. So I get to go back and review the games and really find, I do a whole rookie snapshot series for Yahoo Sports and I get to dig into these players on a personal and collegiate on the field level as well which is really fun and I I have been very high on Jalen Waddle particularly after he was selected by Miami now whether Miami should have uh, you know figured out their offensive line instead of creating a reunion with Tua and a receiver it doesn't matter it's not a debate we need to have because we've got him now and I love the upside he presents there is upside in the unknown except Waddle is not unknown to his quarterback as I just mentioned and also you know, at the beginning of camp, there was this like, well, he's still walking with a limp and that ankle is taped. Nah, nah, he's putting all of those takes to rest. Devontae Parker's obviously on the pop and Will Fuller is is um, a surprise dealing with uh, an injury. By the way, this fact, this stat, um, Will Fuller has been active for 29 games over his last three seasons. I don't understand Will Fuller's ADP. I will never understand Will Fuller's ADP because to me, Jalen Waddle put the nail in that coffin. Um, and I love that coming back to Waddle, though, that, you know, the reports are that he is getting all of these outside reps with these other two players not available. And he's getting these reps with the first time and first team and he's impressing. And the connection between he and Tua is obvious. I think I, I'm really liking what I'm seeing out of him. Um, I obviously love his playmaking ability. I think he's going to draw like 100 looks. And that's an, a lot of upside for a player who's currently being drafted outside of the top 100. I, I actually love that. I, I love, I love that take. Um, I love Jalen Waddle. I find him to be uh, a very easy guy to select. You know, I think you can 
tell yourself the story on Jalen Waddle, incredibly easy, right? He will, uh, you know, obviously he's familiar with Tua. They were teammates at Alabama. I, I think that there, that was at least a little bit of the reasoning why they decided to draft Waddle where they did. Maybe not, maybe not as much as, uh, you know, Terrace Marshall to Carolina for Joe Brady or Jamar Chase to the Bengals for Joe Burrow. But definitely I think that played a part. Waddle is going to excel at the things that Tua like does very well, like those short to intermediate throws where they get Waddle in space. I do want to push back a little bit on Will Fuller, though. I, mm. I, I understand the games played stuff for sure. But when Will Fuller has played, I mean, if, if I could guarantee you 17 games, right, 17 game season, if I could guarantee you 17 games played for Fuller, wouldn't you be like, oh, that guy's just finishing as a top 12 wide receiver? But I mean, he, you can't because he's suspended week one. So 16 games. If I, if I can guarantee you 16 games of him, I still think he might, he might finish there. I, yeah, I mean, you could, I also feel like it's, you know, not, it, it is, I am not going to guarantee six games. Like that's a bet that I don't want to take. And I feel like the fact that he's already missing time switching teams, we see when players switch teams, not everybody is, a, you know, Amari Cooper in the middle of the season to Dallas. I think that is where maybe it's not the middle of the season, but there, this is still a young quarterback and there are still uh, weird COVID protocols and implications at place that are preventing players from necessarily playing together and gaining rapport so quickly. Um, and I just, I think Jalen Waddle is a major factor and is probably particularly the main reason availability aside, why I think Fuller's uh, ADP is way too high and is probably not going to perform where he is currently being drafted. So a rookie that uh, a rookie that I am not as high on as the consensus is Najee Harris for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's going kind of in the the middle to late second round right now. I prefer Antonio Gibson to him. I prefer Clyde Edwards Alaire to him. And I I might even it him versus Swift is close. And the reason why I feel that way is I, I actually don't have any real concerns of like, I I think pretty clearly the Steelers drafted him to give him the ball a ton. What I would be worried about with him is that he doesn't end up being effective as a pass catcher and that they are just distributing more targets to their three very good wide receivers, Smith Schuster, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and that the offensive line is not good enough to make his, you know, 18, 19, 20 carries a game really, really valuable carries. Like, I I think that a lot of people in their heads are imagining Najee Harris being kind of like Derrick Henry or Nick Chubb or something like that. And I don't know if the framework of the team is going to allow him to be that effective. I think that, so I'm seeing him, it's the volume answer, right? Like volume is king, high draft capital. I am seeing Harris go up in the rankings. I agree with you about the offensive line. I also agree with the, agree with you um, about the fact that the Steelers team is just not going to be good. Like, I, I don't, you, do you want to attach, you always want volume, but you have to worry about efficiency and maybe you don't have to worry about efficiency as much with like a rookie. Yeah. I, I would say you'd have to worry about efficiency with a rookie particularly, and but maybe that's not the case with this particular rookie, but I think you make a very good point about the, work that he might get through the air being more limited not because he isn't uh, willing or available but because the rest of the team won't allow for it so I, I think that that's a fair point I'm not drafting him as high as the consensus is either 
I feel though like this argument about Harris needs to stand for Jonathan Taylor as well a little bit. And I'm not seeing Taylor fall to the level that Harris is being drafted by people who are out on him, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I and I completely agree that 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 stands for Jonathan Taylor. Like I, I will take Jonathan Taylor beginning of the second round sometimes, but I, I, I still find myself, you know, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, yeah. even kind of Justin Jefferson. Like, I don't know. Do I really want to pass on those guys for a guy who is just going to run the ball a lot? Like Naheem Hines is still there. I, I think there's a very real chance that Carson Wentz is probably worse than Philip Rivers was last year. Like, I, I think that's a real possibility. And I, on, on Najee Harris, I think there's a real possibility that Roethlisberger's body just yeah. cannot play NFL football anymore. And that it's like Mason Rudolph by like week six. I totally agree with you. I, I love that take and I'm, I'm hundred percent in. Yeah. Uh, okay. Our next rookie guy. What about Jamar Chase, who is right now, he and T Higgins are like neck and neck. And sometimes T Higgins will go first in a draft. Sometimes Jamar Chase will go first. I, obviously the fantasy football market is betting that Jamar Chase can do something similar to what Justin Jefferson and CD mm-hmm. Lamb did last year. Are you, are you buying that? I well, when choosing, I'm I need to see a little bit more out of Joe Burrow in this camp because you know obviously initial reports were that he was skittish, let's say, and that's a big injury to come off of for a young player. Um, I understand again the choice to reunite him with the receiver more than perhaps take um, Penny Sewell, for example, or one of these elite O linemen in the draft was made, um, and there was value at the O line position, so they waited a little bit longer. Um, I need to see a little bit more out of him before I make this decision. I will say right now, I am comfortable taking T Higgins. I think that even if Burrow gets skittish um, or isn't what we thought he might be, maybe, I mean, that's a tough division too. I mean, I think about the Ravens and the Steelers, like that has a really brutal, and the Browns, uh, a really brutal division for this guy to come back. So I like T Higgins a little bit more because even if Burrow isn't accurate, he can sky, uh, T Higgins can sky and caught and climb the ladder, right? Like, I think that he can like grab that ball. Um, and I also think that Tyler Boyd is a really good value because if Burrow is skittish again, then he can just get it off fast to, to Boyd in the slot quickly. So I feel, and, and Joe Mixon should theoretically catch some pa- more passes this year without Gio Bernard. So I don't think the passing tree is not as narrow as people would like to believe. I think the available op, uh, available um, number of attempts is what we're counting on. And I'm just not sure I want to make that gamble right now. I do think though, that it's realistic to think that like, I don't know, could all three of these guys clear 90 catches over a 17 game season? Probably. I am going to lean more towards T Higgin when choosing between the three of them or even Tyler Boyd, if I'm looking for value a little bit later. I also have T Higgins, the first of that group. I, I think that um, people are, are sort of underrating what T Higgins was able to do in the games where he played with Joe Burrow last season. Like people just kind of remember what that Bengals offense was like at the end. But I mean, T was honestly still posting serviceable games with, you know, Brandon Allen at, at quarterback, which uh, is, you know, not an easy thing to do really you know, Brandon Allen, not a very good NFL quarterback. Lots of teams mm-hmm. have, have passed on him. So I, I am pretty big on T. I think the, the mystery wrapped in enigma wrapped in a riddle 
of rookies this year, specifically in redraft is like, no one's going to argue Kyle Pitts dynasty value, sure. but we just have never seen a rookie tight end be drafted this high. Um, you know, we've never seen a rookie tight end come in with these expect like these expectations. Remember, I mean, we're, we're not that far removed from TJ Hawkinson going top 10 Noah fan. I think he went 15th that year, if memory serves correctly. And those guys were fine. They had a couple good games, but they were not going in the fourth or fifth round of redraft leagues. And I agree with you. It is his ADP that makes him um, someone I want to avoid. I'm just not going to pay up for that much of a question mark. And maybe, you know, especially at that position. And especially when I can wait and get an Adam Troutman later, I can have a a little bit of a, you know, a a value section we're going to talk about. There's another tight end that I like really, really late. So I'm just, I'm, or if I want to, if I want to take someone early, like I mentioned, I'm going to take TJ Hawkinson. I'm just not willing at that early in a draft to gamble on a player like Pitts, despite the fact that I love him. And, you know, you mentioned TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, all both out of Iowa, obviously. What about Eric Ebron? Like we've been doing this for a minute. This isn't the first time that we thought, oh, here's a a transcendent unicorn at the position and everybody paid up for it. So maybe I'm not being as risk averse as people would like, but it's a little bit, he's a little bit too rich for my blood. I, I only find myself taking him when he falls to the fifth round and all the wide receivers I like are gone. So, you know, T Higgins is gone. Jamar Chase is gone. D, uh, DJ Moore is gone. Like if it's Brandon Ayuk or Kyle Pitts, maybe every once in a while in a best ball draft, I will take Kyle Pitts. But I, I don't think I want a huge portion of the portfolio to fall on Kyle Pitts. And, and maybe, maybe that makes me, uh, you know, not, not a very sophisticated fantasy player, but like, and and I always do hate this, like, Oh, you got to show it to me first. That, that generally is not a good philosophy, but I do kind of feel like Kyle Pitts has to show it to me first. So maybe I need to think more about that. Well, I I, I'm with you. And I, I think show it to me first, like the position has shown me enough that I am willing to, to take the data sample available and if he is the exception, then I guess my team will will lose out. And, and that's okay. And that's fine with me. Can we talk about Travis Etienne really quickly, though? Yes, please. I, I, I'm a big I fan him. of Travis Etienne. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I love him. And, you know, you talked about the fifth round. I'm getting Travis Etienne in a lot of places in the sixth round, obviously in PPR-friendly formats. Um, he is one of my favorite RB3, uh, RB3 targets. I love the reports coming out of, out of um, camp, you know, I believe it was um, John Shipley. Yes, Sports Illustrated, John Shipley, you know, said that he's been uncoverable in training camp. And we're expecting James Robinson and Carlos Hyde to work on the early down duties. Um, Waddle is catching, I'm not, I'm sorry, not Waddle, ETN. (laughs) ETN is catching balls left and right. Um, He even said himself that he believes to be a bit of a security blanket or safety blanket for Trevor Lawrence. And Urban Meyer is coming from a college system and so, and so is Travis Etienne. And so I feel like when I look at this, this kid's playmaking ability, when I look at his skill set, when I look at the reunion with Lawrence, when I look at, you know, the coaching staff might other in other ways I might not like, but in this particular facet, I am all in and I just love what he is going to be able to do. Yeah, I'm I'm completely with you. You know, the the Alvin Kamara comp is the one that people make, mm-hmm. but like it's it's legit. It's legit. Like same size, same, you know, type of uh same type of build, same type of skill set. Obviously, you know, I 
if we want to go back to to the narrative, Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne were college teammates for their entire college careers. They were super successful. Uh, I, I think them taking again, I think them taking Travis Etienne was kind of like, all right, you know, Trevor, like, let's, let's get your dude, uh, which is, is so smart of these teams to be doing like you, you could in, in it's so when this happens in the NBA and, and you have stars sign their friends, right. Everyone laughs at it, right. Kevin Durant wants Deandre Jordan to be signed for the nets. Cause that's his buddy. But like in the NFL, I actually feel like it's, it's kind of a smart thing because it makes these young quarterbacks feel yes. more comfortable and, and well, getting the, these guys if the deal is yeah sorry to, but if the, if the if the philosophy now is that your rookie quarterbacks are starting week one year one then you gotta give them some connective tissue you gotta help them get there someplace you have to like eliminate or at least round the learning curve a little bit for them and this is the way that it looks like NFL franchises are willing to do it and I think it's I think it's so smart I'm excited by it maybe it'll blow up in our faces, but like, Hey, what a fun experiment it has been. Um, I, I am a hundred percent on board and just like a quick ETN stat for people who aren't familiar. This is the same kid who recorded 16 career touchdowns of 40 plus yards over his time, which to me just shows you, you mentioned the Alvin Kamara camp, how incredibly dangerous he is in space. So I'm, I get really excited about him. And I particularly like him, like I said, as like an upside play when that dead zone of running backs becomes available. Yeah. All right. Some of these secondary rookie wide receivers, Devonta Smith, Mm -hmm. uh, Rashad Bateman, you know, poor, poor Rashad Bateman suffered the groin injury or the, the abdominal injury on Tuesday, Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore, uh, you know, Terrace Marshall, uh, do you have a, do you have a favorite out of that group or a guy you expect to have a big impact in year one? I like Elijah Mitchell, Elijah Moore. I'm sorry. I like Elijah Moore a lot. Um, I think he's exciting. I loved his play at Ole Miss. I think the jets are kind of fun and frisky. You've got a lot of rookies here. I like Michael Carter. We can talk about him a little bit later if you want. Um, but I, I think Elijah Moore is probably the most interesting in the ones and also he's going later, um, than, a lot of those guys. So I think he's probably the one that I'd be willing to take an upside late round draft pick, a uh, draft dart pick on him. Yeah. Uh, like we, we can definitely talk about Michael Carter cause I cannot make heads or tails of him. Uh, you know, the, the history, if we you know, we're talking about the history of rookie tight ends with Kyle Pitts. Well, you know, the history of fourth round running backs is like, you know, they're basically about as likely to be cut as mm-hmm. they are to be, the starting running back, uh, you know, we all got excited about Keyshawn Vaughn last year. You literally like did not touch the field, not in the same situation, but like kind of a similar situation. There are veteran running backs on the roster. Tevin Coleman, who came over from San Francisco with Robert Sala, Ty Johnson, who was the third down back last year, LaMichael P Ryan, who was nominally the starting running back for the jets last year, albeit with a different coaching staff. Like I, I just can't figure out what the upside for him would be. Well, I think there's a big talent gap between Vaughn and Carter, to be honest. And I also feel like we've seen, we have some, and it's different because North Carolina isn't, you know, the, isn't the SEC, but we have seen Carter produce immediately. This is a player who as a true freshman in 2017, found the end zone nine times. And yes, he's been in a, he, you know, was in a timeshare with Javante Williams for the Tar Heels for the remainder of that time, but he still posted good numbers. And that means to me that his legs are fresh. Uh, the athletics Connor Hughes said he believed it was going to be Carter and Tevin Coleman as the top two running backs. I am not 
holding my breath for Tevin Coleman. I understand, you know, the system he's coming from and the familiarity with the coaching staff because of it, but this is a player who cannot stay healthy. And I also think that the Jets are working on a different timetable than everybody else. They have all of these rookies. They are willing to um, lean into their young talent because the coaching staff is the brand new regime is in fact, you know, pretty young. And so I'm seeing Michael Carter play with the first team offense and OTAs and reportedly, you know, quote, a step above per Graham Barfield um, the, than the other backs in camp. And so if I think the competition is between Carter and Coleman, I'll take that upside. I, I, I don't, I don't mind it, especially when I see what he did in college and, and how well he performed. He's also a player who knows how to take care of the football, which matters a lot to coaching staff and is also part of a part of the rookie a learning curve for running backs, but he recorded zero fumbles over his entire 2020 effort. So when I look at the talent and I understand the complexity and the complexion of the Jets right now, I am I am a little more excited than I necessarily would be in years previous. Yeah, I, I you know I think that probably the fact that Tevin Coleman just like looked bad the last time we saw him, and that Ty Johnson has never been a lead running back. Michael P. Ryan definitely looked bad, you know, in the in the whole Jets infrastructure last year. Like all of those things definitely are points in in favor of Carter, who was very good at North Carolina. All right, the the big rookie question though: How many starts do we get out of Trey Lance? How many starts do we get out of Justin Fields and how good or bad do you expect them to be? Well, Trey Lance, let's start there. I don't think I get paid enough money to answer that question. And I also don't think the people who do get paid the money know the answer to that question. So um, I'm not sure. I, like I, I, I can't, I think that, and Kyle Shanahan has even said this, that the presence of Trey Lance seems to have kicked Jimmy Garoppolo into gear. And so Jimmy Garoppolo remains a trade piece for this franchise. And so I don't think they're as willing to bury him as maybe fans would like him to be. If he gets a couple of good games um, under his belt, then maybe we can see a trade happening, you know, sometime in October. So I don't, I would say that I don't expect Trey Lance unless Jimmy gets hurt, which we all know is possible. Um, I don't really think he'll take the field. And I would, I'm, I'm going to say this is more conservative than most after Halloween. That is definitely more conservative than most. People are very excited about Trey Lance. And, and, you know, I honestly do view the Trey Lance thing as a little bit different than the Justin Fields thing, because at oh, least with Jimmy Garoppolo, different. at least with Jimmy G, you can be like, look, they, they, they literally made the Super Bowl with this guy as their quarterback. Like, it's not like he's so bad that you can't win games with him. I think the Bears thing is much different because there's clearly, like, there's no loyalty between Matt Nagy and Andy Dalton. Matt Nagy is clearly coaching for his job. The front office are clearly managing for their jobs. Like if, if they are, they miss the playoffs this year, or if they're bad this year, they're all gone. My, my thinking the whole time has been Andy Dalton is going to be thrown to the wolves in that week one game against the Los yep. Angeles Rams. And then that's it. And then it's going to be fields for the next 16 games. Well, I think he's going to get week two as well because they play the Bengals. So I think maybe um, he'll get his narrative game in week two after getting completely mauled by Aaron Donald at SoFi to open the season. I agree with you. Also, like, I'm a Bears fan. The report's out of camp. Not great for the O-line, which makes me... The other thing is, if this coaching... If this entire front office, basically, and I agree with you, they are. I mean, the Mitch Trubisky uh, pick really did solidify Pace's, like, tenuous relationship with the city. 
Um, and I think that they uh, this whole this whole front office, I agree with you, is playing for their for their jobs. But if they throw Justin Fields out too early, and you note the O line problems, and they ruin him, there are going to be so many billboards put up asking for their heads throughout the city. And I just like that is the line. Like you cannot ruin this one too. And I know this coaching staff has shown an ability to flip flop between quarterbacks with like very little care so it's it's a possibility but I do think they have to be a little bit precious about when they start fields because they need to be conservative so as not to completely decimate him because if he doesn't perform then they're definitely getting fired as well yeah that's that's definitely true so I I and and uh, the market does not agree on this you know Trey Lance is going around or two rounds ahead of where Justin Fields goes in the drafts I think because people expect Lance to be like a Cam Newton-esque rusher, like a, like a lot of rushing touchdowns. But, I mean, Fields is faster. If you, if you really want to get to the nitty-gritty, like Fields is yes. a faster player. He, you know, guy ran, guy ran a 4-4, you know, had the I, – I mean, clearly, I think you would have to say his college career was amazing. Like, coming back mm-hmm. from that injury um, against Clemson, like, un- unbelievable. Like, he is an unbelievable guy. Uh, so, I, I, am, I am very bullish on – Justin Fields and I I think he probably starts closer to like 15 games than you know eight games or whatever right now I have Trey Lance I I expect about 10 games for him okay I I think that that's probably I'm just really interested to see what Jimmy G does early and if they can get trade value for for him and I, I I'm interested to see like if COVID continues to play like if some of these quarterbacks aren't available or not just because of injury, but because of like COVID implications. If we start seeing, I think Jimmy G is getting traded at the deadline and I want to see how much value he, he has. I, I really feel like he is just going to be traded mid season. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, it just, it just would not make sense for someone not to trade for him. Uh, so the, the thing I wanted to close out with here, I just wanted to go, I wanted to, to pick your brain and just go through your five favorite dudes after pick 100 in, in average draft position. So, so the floor is yours for uh, some of your, I, I, you know, these are people hate the word sleeper, but like guys going after pick 100, sure. People know who they are, but in terms of their fantasy value, they're, they're sleepers still. Yeah. I mean, they're value picks, whatever. I mean, like, I don't want to spend a lot of time on the quarterbacks because unless you're playing in super flex you don't really need to throw a dart but I do think Ryan Fitzpatrick is being undervalued because we think we know what we and after 16 years in the league like we should know there's a plenty of data but I don't think we know I don't I don't think people are um believing that he has in fact been more magic than fizzle at least over the last four seasons I mean he's been a, a top 14 fantasy player in 20 um in 20 and a top 10 fantasy quarterback in 16 of his last 30 games. And that's with a uh, 25 attempts minimum. So I, I, you know, I like the fact that he's reuniting with Adam Humphreys. No one's really talking about Adam Humphreys, um, but there's a bit of a reunion there because they played together on the Bucks. Obviously Curtis Samuel's a little bit banged up. That might make room for Adam hum- uh, Humphreys. Terry McLaurin is a stud. He's a top 10 uh, wide receiver. I don't want to hear anything about it. Antonio Gibson. I'm high on. He has pass catching ability, obviously, as a converted wide receiver. J.D. McKissick is still there. A swole J.D. JD McKissick, by the way, I guess. Um, Logan Thomas, like, I think that 
I'm uh, the aggress the aggressivity of this team, even with a really good defense, is exciting to me. You can't like oh, you can't look past what Scott Turner likes to do. His offenses have been top ten in passing for two straight seasons, obviously in Washington and then Carolina in 2019. So I really like Fitz Fitzpatrick, um, and he's going at 158. I like him more, obviously, as a super flex piece, but I think if we want to mention the quarterback position, he deserves a mention. This guy is not going outside of the top 100, but I think he's going criminally low, and you mentioned his teammate, DJ Moore, so I do want to talk about him. His ADP is 87, and yes, I'm obviously discussing Robbie Anderson. How is he the wide receiver 34? Riddle me this, Davis. Last year, Moore and Robbie Anderson closed out 2020 as fantasy's wide receiver 22 and 23, respectively, yet... This year, Moore is being drafted nearly 30 spots ahead of Anderson. I think that maybe that's fair, but also Anderson prevents, presents an incredible amount of value. Last year, he led uh, Carolina's receiving core in targets and receptions. He has completely given himself a rebrand. His versatility at, alone deserves major props. Um, Per PFF, he was the fourth highest graded rookie who worked the slot, which is not what you expect from Robbie Anderson. I don't need to tell you about his end zone prowess, and I don't need to tell you about his pre-existing relationship with Sam Darnold, his new quarterback, but I will just say of the 13 games Darnold started in 2019 with the Jets, Anderson either cleared 80 yards or scored in six of them. So to me, Anderson is a player with top 20 upside who is being drafted outside of the top 30. So, I mean, I can explain to you the Robbie Anderson thing. It's that fantasy football nerds love DJ Moore. It's like, it's like a competition. It's like a competition in fantasy football nerddom. Like who likes DJ Moore the most? I, I like, honest to God, that is what it is. It's just that DJ Moore has become such a meme amongst fantasy football people that we, you know, we can't possibly draft Robbie Anderson any higher than that. Like that's really what it is. All right. Well, I, like I said, wasn't popular in high school, love nerds, but y'all can be distracted by the spark. And I'm going to look at, to me, Robbie Anderson is very much like Robert Woods, like just put some respect on his name. The amount of versatility, the ways he can be used are just endless. And to me that, you know, another thing Andy Barron's has taught me is that like tiebreaker, a talent is always a tiebreaker. And Robbie Anderson is clearly, clearly talented. So I love his value. Um, uh, it's it's real hard to find a running back, by the way, after uh, sure. <laughs> after 100. Yeah. But I do think that, like, I, I'm not really going to draft him, but I think that Jamal Williams, and I don't really like stacking my quarterbacks. Like, I'm not going after DeAndre Swift um, in any formats or any leagues. I do think that probably the case for Jamal Williams is really just a case against DeAndre Swift, but he is dealing with the groin issue Swift is, and I always think about Arian Foster and the groin issue. And even though like Cook and Montgomery were able to bounce back from it, it that is an injury that gives me a little bit more pause. The fact that Anthony Lynn um, and Dan Campbell, frankly, have both said that this is going to be a timeshare. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like if I don't really want to be attached to this offense in any way, but I do think Jamal Williams as the RB 45 with an ADP of 126 overall is at least eyebrow raising and what was more eyebrow raising was the fact that he has not fumbled on 
523 career rush attempts. And again, when I look at Dan Campbell and the culture he's trying to instill, like in Anthony Lynn, that whole taking care of the football thing seems to matter. And I think that Williams might have bi-week appeal. I just don't know if you need to like reserve a bench spot, but I did want to mention, mention at least a running back after this pick because other than Tony Pollard, like, I don't know what you're doing. I, I actually like the Jamal Williams call. Uh, you know, Jamal Williams siphoned a lot of touches off of Aaron Jones. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think we can all say Aaron Jones, a much more talented running back, but Jamal Williams does things that, that coaches like. He's a good pass blocker. He does not fumble the ball. He's steady-handed. You know, he's not very explosive. Kind of like, uh, you know, Darrell Williams in Kansas City is just going to kind of eat into Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's touches because he is dependable. You know, Frank Gore, through his whole career, has just siphoned sure. off touches who are uh, guys who are a little – well, not Frank Gore's whole career. That That is not fair. But Frank Gore in the, the second half of his career would get touches over other, you know, more physically talented running backs because he was reliable, he was dependable. And Dan Campbell has already said all of these things. You know, he said, mm-hmm. you know, we think Jamal Williams can help set up DeAndre Swift to be more successful. We think Jamal Williams is really good. You know, they, they signed him to a – I think it was a four and a half million dollar contract guaranteed, which is like for running back, that's not nothing, right? Like anytime a running back's getting more than like two or three million dollars, that's definitely not nothing. So I I actually think Jamal Williams is a pretty good, like if you have a true zero RB team where you might just need like nine points a week for your running back two slot, I, I think you can do much worse than Jamal Williams. One last nug on him. And thank you for the, I've forgotten about the contract. That's a great point. And you're totally right. Um, you mentioned Aaron Jones. Remember when he was out last season for week seven and eight, I believe Williams recorded um, over a hundred total yards and top 10 fantasy finishes at the position in back-to-back weeks. So we know that, I mean, obviously the Packers are a different offense than the lions, but we know that he has that sort of appeal when given the opportunity, you know, I don't know if he's a top 10 running back necessarily, but he could give you serviceable numbers at, a really volatile position. Um, I let's, do you want to do, I mean, I like Nico Collins. I like, um, Armon, uh, Ross, say Brown on the same offense. Gabriel Davis, I think is interesting, but I think of, you know, I know we're running low on time. Gerald Everett is someone that I talked about Adam Troutman earlier. And there was another guy that if I couldn't get Troutman, I would try to get in. It's Everett. Um, He's out of the shadow of Tyler Higby, but he gets to follow his former position coach, Shane Waldron, to the Seahawks. I think when we're, we don't really know how much Russ is going to be able to cook, but I think even at like a simmer, there should be opportunity for Everett here. He could potentially be third in targets um, behind, obviously, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in this offense. Um, You don't have Greg Olson, who was just under 40 targets last year. You don't have uh, Jacob Hollister, who I believe had exactly 40 targets last year. Also, don't have David Moore, who was third in team targets. He's now in Carolina. Um, They were clearly looking for a third option in that passing game and maybe attribute some of the second half of the season slump to the fact that there wasn't a viable third option. I think Gerald Everett, given his skill familiarity with Waldron um, and especially because we've seen that um, Eskridge has been sidelined with his toe injury so Everett is getting these extra reps in camp Russ seems to really really love him you know there are a lot of opportunities and a lot of targets vacated and open so I think that he could flirt with maybe 100 targets in this offense in 2021 and that's pretty good for a guy who's going even after Adam Troutman 
Yeah, I actually, I actually love that one. And I, I hadn't even in my, I hadn't even in my, you know, brain made the, made the connection between Shane Waldron being in LA and then Gerald Everett coming from LA over to the Seahawks. Like I hadn't thought about that yet, but you know, if I'm, if I'm thinking, you know, if I'm thinking in my head about, uh, you know, the, the connections with all these, with all these guys, you know, Terrace Marshall in, in Carolina, Travis mm-hmm. Etienne, like that one, that one definitely makes a lot of sense. I think I'm going to steal that talking point from you and use that on, uh, use that on some future podcasts. Cause I really like that one. And I, I already agreed with you before that. I, I already, I, you know, I already really liked Gerald Everett. I, I think if I was going to look at a tight end going, later in draft who could do like what Robert Tunyon did last year Tunyon scored 11 touchdowns I mean Russell Wilson has always made guys more efficient than they were elsewhere you know I mean he turned Will Disley into a fantasy star and Will Disley was a a college offensive lineman so I I think that one is I think that one is really strong I, I I really like I really like Gerald Everett all right well I'm glad we can oh I love by the way the big guy from Big Sky Will Disley and you know, you mentioned the fact that he was an, an O-lineman and Gerald Everett like was, I believe, originally a JUCO product before he went to South Alabama. So he doesn't have necessarily the pedigree that some of these other players do have, but because he just has the talent and the familiarity with the OC and you're right, a quarterback who elevates surrounding talent. Here's a real, I mean, I, would you say top 12 to top 10 upside? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Liz, thank you so much for sharing some of your time with us. Uh, Why don't you tell people what you have coming up on Yahoo Fantasy, how they can follow your work, how they can engage with you through the course of the NFL season. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. You can follow me on social media, both Twitter and Instagram at Liz Loza underscore FF. Be sure to download the Yahoo Fantasy app because that is where most of my work will live. Um, We have Fantasy Football Live coming back for, I believe, its 17th season. I've only been on the show six of those seasons. Maybe this will be my seventh. I'm not quite sure. But that uh, is live 90 minutes before kickoff every Sunday. So be sure to check that out. And there's a pretty big, fun announcement that I'll be making next week. So just keep an eye out for that and uh, follow me on the socials. All right, everyone, follow Liz at Liz Loza underscore FF. She will, of course, be tagged probably in the tweet where you were reading this, and definitely you'll be able to find her work on Yahoo Fantasy. Liz, thank you so much for the time, and we will be back later this week. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.